0: It's already been a blessed time. I hope your heart is prepared now to receive the word of God uh, that we sing and we praise the Lord. And that prepares our heart then to receive God's word. So I would invite you to join me as we uh, look into the book of Ephesians. We have been moving through this book ever so slowly, but we're picking up the rich truths there. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we find ourselves in, in the middle of the topic of families and developing a godly family and what that entails and how to do that. And the Bible is very uh, practical in that way, that it, it does inform us, even down to the very specific um, relationships of husband and wives and children and we want to we want to glean those truths today. I'm going to begin reading in verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife. Each, uh, even as himself. And the wives must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, how precious it is. Uh, Lord, we, we recognize uh, our weaknesses. Uh, but Lord, in our weaknesses, we recognize your strengths, your greatness, your great mercy and great love that has already been sung about today your grace your great grace your great salvation for mankind and lord we we are in awe father we recognize in our weakness that without your work in our life we would we would be nothing without your grace we would be nowhere lord we could not please you in and of ourselves and lord we just Long to be able to do that. Father, I pray that as we read your word today, that we would, we would glean truths that would help us to please you. That would help us to work out in our lives a, a lifestyle, habits, characteristics that please you, that bring glory and honor to you, and that give credibility to the gospel that we proclaim. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the theme of the book of Ephesians is the church. It's the church. So it's not surprising when we find Paul taking up the topic of unity again. He has mentioned unity before in the past in chapter 4. And we can understand why. Because the church is Christ gathering individuals together together to worship and honor Him. And it gives us... Um, Characteristics of the church here in this book and what the church's purpose and how the church is to come together And he he gives some direct good sound teaching on the church And so unity is a major part a major theme in this book But this unity is a little bit different this isn't the unity within the body Of the church, but this is unity that is from Christ between Christ and the body of the the body, the church, the body of Christ. And this unity that Paul's talking about in this passage is unity that that comes through sacrifice and purification that he talked about earlier, and it comes from an unconditional love of Christ and His church. And this, uh, like I said, the earlier mentions of unity are concerning the unity within the church. And this is the unity with Christ that the church has with Christ. And in fact, there's two analogies here. One is the body, uh, the human body. We have the head and the body and they work together. There's a unity there. But the other example, the other illustration of this spiritual truth is the husband and the wife. Now, the main emphasis here is actually of Christ and his church. Christ and his church and the unity that we see there. And those are spiritual truths, but he's fleshing those spiritual truths out with very practical examples. And those practical examples are the body and a husband and wife relationship. And those are two things that we can see and we can understand unity by those things. It just makes sense head and body moving together unified husband and wife coming together and unified but sometimes we fail to see our marriages in that way and there's many things that that take us apart but uh, or take unity that like kill unity but marriage is about unity bringing the husband and wife together they become one that's what marriage is in fact, what we see in Scripture is that the husband plays the role of the host. He brings his wife into his world, this new bride. He makes her feel comfortable. He accepts her. He shares himself and everything that he has with her. He brings her into his confidence and trust. He gives her responsibilities to, uh, and, and gives her purpose in life. And together they accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. He cares for her. And that, that bond that builds the unity that we see in a husband and wife relationship. Two hearts coming together as one. We, uh, my family was at a, uh, a, a wedding last night. Yesterday. And uh, the pastor emphasized that point in several different ways. That the husband and wife are coming together. That's the point of marriage. It is not good that man should be alone. So God created a helper suitable for him. Companionship. Relationship. Now, there's a unity that is produced right at marriage. You have a, a license. But we know that unity... It has to be more than just a piece of paper, a legal paper that's saying that, yes, these two are now one. They are one entity. There's a unity that comes and that's produced in marriage and being together. And it should be preserved. Unity in your marriage needs to be preserved. Now, there are certain things over time that that just kill this unity, as I mentioned It just destroys uh, uh, unity between a husband and wife, and if we don't, if we're not careful, it can destroy a marriage. Now, let me give you some of these. Number one is what I would say is Christ, our love for Christ. Our love for Christ has to be first, and that actually then builds the two together. I believe ultimately that uh, the the first love or the love of Christ first builds a great unity and number two another destroyer of unity is uh is pride uh pride so not just uh, not pursuing christ first and foremost but pride gets in our life and and that produces uh dysfunction that produce, that kills the unity It becomes a self-focused it's a Uh, Selfish mindset another one is just sinful communication. We begin to tear one another down instead of building one another up So sinful communication another one a lack of appreciation We begin to take each other for granted, don't we? We don't say thank you as much. We don't build that into What we do and so we begin to take each other for granted another one is just self-focused in our expectations Here's what I expect. Here's the way I see things. Here's what's going to happen. And we begin to pursue that. Those things destroy unity. Now instead, we want to build up unity within the body. Within the, the marriage. So we pursue Christ. We live with humility. We put on humility. And the other person becomes more important than ourselves. We focus on God's desires. God's desires and serve um, the good of others. Serve for the good of others. And we communicate truth in a loving way. And then we show regularly our appreciation. We share appreciation with one another. And we also then we focus on our responsibilities rather than focus on the other person's responsibilities. Here's a, a quote from... One of the books that I was reading. He said, we need to see our sin as large and the other person's sin as small. If we want to be build unity within the marriage, that's, that's the way we need to see things. Now, that's a godly marriage. And that's what we're pursuing. We're pursuing a godly marriage. And Paul is, is wanting us to build godly marriages in the church. It's important for the church to establish and to have godly marriages. Now, let's look at our text. What we found last week is that a very simple command in verse 25 the husband is commanded to love his wife. Love his wife. And the example for the husband is Christ and Christ's love for the church. Now we saw that this is this is a, a supernatural love, this is a biblical kind of love, this is an unconditional love. And we really would not only, we would only know this love because of Christ and his love for the church. And then we ask the question is, how do we, how does this kind of love look? What is it? How does it flesh its way out? And Paul gives us three examples. And we saw the first two last week. It's a sacrificial love and it's a purifying love. And we saw both of those last week. And we missed one point last week, and we have the point we'll make it up this week. It it is a a purifying love. So it's a sacrificial love, and it's a unifying love. It's a unifying love. And we see that starting in verse 28. All of these these terms, all of these uh, images that Paul uses are talking about the unity, the bringing together of the two. And it's a, a unifying love. Um, between the husband and wife and Christ's love for the church. And in this passage, here's the point. Here's what I want you to see. A godly marriage is a reflection of Christ and his bride in which the husband loves his wife in such a way to demonstrate to a watching world Christ's love for the church. We husbands are to, to represent that same kind of love and uh, leadership that Christ has for His church. And we represent that to the world. As the world looks on, they then can understand and begin to grasp this supernatural kind of love, this unconditional love. And it's important, we mentioned last week, because of the, for the sake of the gospel, it gives credibility to what we proclaim. People look and say, yes, there's something uh, supernatural about that marriage. There's something that's different about that marriage. There's a, there's a love there. There's a sacrificing there. There's a purifying there. There's a, a unification there. So the question we want to ask about these particular verses, from verses 28 down to verse 32, we want to see, um, ask this question, how does a husband demonstrate this unifying love? And I think it is a unique love in Scripture. It's a sacrificial love. We can understand that. It's a purifying love, but it's, it's a unifying love. It's a love that is all-encompassing. It draws people. It pulls people in and unifies the two within relationships. And Paul gives us three elements, three elements of unifying love. Now, just to let you know, I can count to higher than four or three But just all of the points seem to be three or four within the text. So I'm not stuck. If there was 25 points, I would say there's 25 points that Paul gives us. But really, we see three. Okay? I know I just keep having three points here, three points there. But it's it's in the text. I'm just bringing you what's in the text. All right? Number one, let's get into it. Number one. How does a a husband demonstrate or even produce this kind of unifying love? Well, number one, by knowing his wife. By knowing his wife. Now, it's implied in the text here. Look what it says. Husbands ought to love their wives. uh, So, husbands uh, ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. That's that unifying, that pulling together. But a person knows his own body. There's such a close connection there. There's a uniting there that the person, there's a knowledge there, and it's implied in the text. There's a certain knowledge that comes with between the body and the mind. And then he says, uh, knows his own body. He, he who loves his wife loves himself. For everyone who, uh, no one ever hated his own flesh Paul is talking about this natural kind of love, this self preservation love or protection. We protect ourselves. Even even though we might not like our life and the circumstances of our life, we tend to we tend to shield ourselves from things that are being hurled at us. We protect ourselves. Um, that's what we that's what we do. It's a natural instinct. And as the head of the body, Christ protects his church. Christ loves his church in such a way that that he preserves his church. And how does he do that? He knows his church. This unifying love that Christ has, he he knows his church. He knows his church. He knows his people. And I want you to see this. I don't want you to take this for granted. Look over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, very important passage that you need to, to just let sink deep into your mind. John chapter 10. there's actually or t- John chapter 10. Verse 14, couple passages actually. Verse 14 says, "I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own." Very clear, very straightforward. I'm the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. It's reciprocal. Christ knows us, we know Christ. In verse 26, he goes on to say, but you do not, now he's talking about some of his enemies, these scribes, Pharisees that he's talking to here. He says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's that relationship, there's that intimacy there in verse 28 he goes on to say and and i give them eternal i give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand now again the picture is this unifying love This love of of knowledge and holding on to and caring, that's the image that Paul is communicating in Ephesians chapter 5. It's that shepherding image that we see. Christ knows His church. He knows His people. But notice also that we as His people should know Him. In fact, John goes on to say in verse, in chapter eight, in chapter 17, verse three, this is eternal life that you know that, um, that they, he's talking about his disciples, that they know you. Now, this is in Christ's high priestly prayer. He's talking to his heavenly father. And then he says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, who you have sent. That's what eternal life is, is that relationship to know that God and God to know us. So it's reciprocal. Christ knows us. He knows us intimately. And we are to know Him. We are to know God. We are to know God's attitudes on certain things. We need to know what attitudes, what words, what actions please God. We need to know those things. It's a cognitive thing. But relationships are built upon knowledge. And it's kind of assumed, but it's, it's there. As Christ knows His church, we husbands are to know our wives. Now, the moment that, uh, I was, I was reminded of this last night, my wife and I came together, uh, July the, what was it? July, <laughs> July the 7th July the 7th in 1990 and on that day we became one we 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 became married we were united now we could not get any more married after that day if we tried we were married we were united but there's a certain element of just being together and growing together that uh, over time that that, that produces unity and we do become closer, more intimate, as time goes on, and we share life together, and we enjoy one another. Another illustration of this: when I was young, we spent a lot of times out in the woods, and we just our uh, our home was uh, kind of up against uh, Jefferson National Forest, and it was our job to discover every inch of that. That forest, that's just what we did. We just spent more time outside. It's what, it's what we thought we were supposed to do. And um, we would just use the phrase, I know these woods like the back of my hand. Now, I never thought about it, but I really don't know that I've looked at the back of my hand too much. But I knew those woods. I knew where the rocks were. I knew where the caves were and the cliffs were. I knew where a tree had fallen. You just become familiar with those things because you've done it over and over and over. You've been there. Peter said it like this. An important verse for us to know as men. Peter says, you husbands, and this is 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, you husbands in the same way, love or live with your wife in an understanding way. There's a cognitive element to that. There's a knowing to that. As with someone who is weaker, since she is a woman and show honor, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. That's talking about marriage. So that your prayers will not be unhindered. It's a strong spiritual. There's a strong warning to that. Know your wife. Know your wife. Now, how does a husband to do this? The example again is Christ. Christ's example is that He knows us intimately. And... uh We, as husbands, then, need to know and understand our wives. We don't get to know that knowledge by ignoring them, by not spending time with them, obviously. So what we have to do as husbands, our responsibility, if we are going to be the loving leader that we need to be in developing a godly home, we need to know our wives. We need to spend time with her. We need to be with her. We need to talk to her. We need to communicate with her. Now, this is a little strange. We need to observe her. I'm not sure that my wife would like for me just to observe her, but that's what we need to do. We need to observe her. It sounds a little strange. But but I I want to I want to find out what makes her tick, how she is unique. Um I ask her questions. I listen to her answers. I I experience her world. I get into her world. I find out what's going on with her. Um, in fact, I in fact reveal myself to her and she opens up to me. That's a relationship. You understand those things. I don't have to explain that to you. But sometimes over time, we just forget. What does a husband... Well, l- let me go back... Here. Paul is not talking about the husbands just kinda of losing their manhood and, and kinda of getting into this ushy gushy girly stuff. And Paul is not wanting weak, wimpy men like I, I used the term before Casper milk toast. He's, he's not wanting that. He's not trying to get to that. But if we want to do our responsibilities as a husband of leading our home in a loving way, we must take it seriously. And part of that is knowing your wife. Knowing your wife. Now, what do you need to know? Here's a list for you on the, on the screen. You need to know her capabilities and her limitations. You can push her too far. Don't do that. Know those limits. Know what she can do. Know her joys. What makes her what makes her happy inside. And know her challenges, what she struggles with, what her problems are, what and, and don't what's your problem? That's not the idea. <laughs> but you know you need to know these things. Know her sorrows, her heartaches. Know her fears. What does she dread? What, what keeps her awake at night? Um, know her temptations, her sinful struggles, her physical and spiritual needs. Um, what communicates love to her? Encourage her and what, what discourages her and what encourages her? Now, if you husbands were to take a pop quiz right now, and I'd say, get out the piece of paper. You know, you start listing those things. How would you do? Do you know your wife? There's used to, what was the game show on TV? Um, the newlywed game, was that what it is? I don't know if I would like to get on that, that show. What would you pass? Do you know your wife enough? Gentlemen, Why is that important? Because that's part of unifying. That's part of this unifying love that draws her into a relationship with you. You become intimate. It's not just an intimate physical thing. There's an intimacy there with relationship. So a husband demonstrates this unifying love by knowing his wife. The husband demonstrates this unifying love by caring for his wife as well. Look, look in the middle or at the end of verse, middle of verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, he said, but nourishes and cherishes it. He's talking about his body there. The word "nourish" is to provide food for, just literally. or we would use it they would use it for children to bring up children. All you do is stick food in and they'd grow. You nourish them. You pro- provide food for them. That's the idea. That's the word. I'm just telling you what it says. You nourish them. And then you also cherish them. And the, the word "cherish" is to warm. It literally means "to make warm. And to comfort. So that's that's what we do to ourselves, our own bodies. We put food in, we get our our warm clothes on, and we take care of ourselves. That's what you do as a husband to your your wife. In the same way. Now now again, remember, he's talking in, in the physical world. He's given us a physical illustration of a spiritual reality. Folks, we are head and body united with Christ. That's the spiritual reality. Christ cares for His body. He nourishes and cherishes His body. He sure does. We talked about that last week with the Word. It says. But Let me give you some illustrations or some examples of this. We see in Ephesians 2, verse 8, that He gives, he gives faith so that they can so that we can believe it is a gift of god it's a, it's this faith to believe he gives us hope that purifies we see in first john he he stands before the father and he makes intercessions for us now this is on a routine daily basis he makes intercessions he also forgives our sins and it's an incredible thought. But 1 John 1.9, you know the verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is on a daily basis. He hears our confession and he forgives. And then he goes beyond that and it says, he, he, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes beyond just the confessing the one sin, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's what He does. He takes care of His people, His church. But He goes beyond. He, he uh, provides gifts for us. Ministering gifts. He gifts us in order to serve one another. He gives us purpose for our life. A certain amount of responsibility. But we recognize, it's, it's funny, He gives us this responsibility, but ultimately He is in control. He helps us with these responsibilities, doesn't He? He energizes us. For these responsibilities. And he provides unity. He provides a church. In which we can come in. And and glean from the word of God together. And encourage one another. It's a support system. It's It's a great place in which. That we can be nourished. And cherished. The church. And then he progresses. Our spiritual life. He brings us along spiritually. And provides fruit in our life. So that we can see. Yes I'm on the right track. He's doing for these things for us now. And then, just the last one, he's just patient with us. I know he is with me. I look at my life and I fail so many times. And, and I know that he's got to be discouraged with Carl Dingus. But he's patient. He's patient. All of this is, the, is the, to be an example for the husband and the wife relationship. Husbands, how do you care for your wife? How do you show that you care for your wife? Well, let me give you a few examples. Number one, just let her know. You've got to tell her that you love her. And it should be done on a regular basis. You provide well for her. That's the example that's set forth here. Let me give you some more, though. You set an environment in which she can thrive. That's very important. You don't put all of the heavy responsibilities upon her. It is not her responsibility to provide for your household and to make everything work and to do everything. That's not it. You could burden her so far down that she cannot thrive. She cannot be and function the way she needs to. Sometimes we need to take the stress away from our wives. And we need to share... share um, Shoulder the heavy burden. Shoulder the heavy lifting. Um, and how do we do that? Well, we we help her when we can. We help her do her jobs when we can. And we bring help bring order to her world. We help her in whatever way we can. We provide a family budget so she can see the limits and the, the freedoms that she has with the money. We let her see that we are sacrificing for her. Remember the sacrificial love. Another one, and this is... We don't become a product of our day. And this is our temptation, man. We come home from work and we're a product of our day. If we had a good day, ah, things are good. How are you doing? Everything's, everything's fine. If we've had a bad day, we come in and we don't even talk to her. Or we just do something else... We become a product of our day and we become so moody that she can't judge. She doesn't know what kind of guy is going to walk through this door. Is he going to be a mad guy or a happy guy? (laughs) She doesn't need to live with that. We be the same person that walks through the door every day. That's hard. That's hard for me because I tend to be a product of my day. But you know what, that's a result of sound theology. If we can handle the things of our day with a sound theology and, and put them through the grid of theology that says, uh, you know what, God is still in control and you're not. Trust me and we can go home at night and rest. We can go home at night and enjoy our relationship with our wives. We need to show her respect. We need to seek what pleases her. We need to encourage her And give her hope. Now again, this is in the spiritual realm. This hope comes from a sound theology. A sound theology. We have to know and understand this God that we are worshipping. Because we have to then assimilate our day in light of this theology. And then we just give her attention. Give her attention. There's a lot more that can be said here. But I'm just talking about how do we show care for our wives. Just some practical suggestions. And then just as Christians. You know what? We need to remember that Christ cares for us. As a church here. As a body of believers. Christ cares for you. He's up there forgiving your sins. He's making atonement for the Father. For you on your behalf. And sometimes we lose focus of that. I do. We forget Christ cares for us. And we need to understand that care. We need to We need to see these things in Scripture, be reminded of these things in Scripture. We need to look at them in our day. How is Christ taking care of us? Now let's move on to the next point. How does a husband demonstrate this uniting love, this unifying love? Well he knows his wife, he cares for his wife, and then look at look at verse thirty. Because we are members of his body. There's a there's a permanence there. And then he goes on verse thirty one, he quotes Genesis chapter two, he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and the two shall be one be joined to his or I'm sorry, leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a permanence there. So point number three is, how does a husband show this unifying love? Is by a permanent commitment to his wife. It's a permanent commitment. Now I'll just move through this quickly. In the theological terms that we would use, we're talking about the security of the believer. The security of the believer. Christ secures His bride. He secures this bride. And how do we know this? Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Christ keeps His promise. He also talks about giving us eternal life. Eternal life. It, this is life that lasts forever. This isn't life that we, we might lose tomorrow, or we might lose, lose the next day, or upon sin, or some kind of event in our life, we're going to lose it. No, He gives us eternal life. He also gives us the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, That, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, that keeps us that seals us he also gives us a faith that produces this living hope within us this hope that will not die but i want you to see this this is very important turn over to romans chapter 8 again you need to see it in your bible this is christ's love for you his caring love for you and this showing permanence This isn't a flippant relationship. Marriage is a permanent thing. Christ's relationship with you is a permanent thing. And you need to see this. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Now this is one of the strongest passages in Scripture that talks about the permanent commitment of Christ and His church. Who's going to separate us from Christ and His his love for us? Well, tribulations? No. No. And not tribulations, not distress. What about persecutions? What about famine? What about nakedness? What about peril? Or the sword? What if they cut off my head? No. Verse 26. Just as it is, just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are We are considered sheep to be slaughtered this is talking about this is talking about Christ and for our sake it's for us that he died in verse 37 but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who what who loves us he loved us and so we conquer Even though we're persecuted, even though we are weak and frail and could be put to death at the whim of anyone. God is still in control. He loves us and we can overwhelmingly conquer. And this sums it up in verse 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing's going to separate. There's a permanency there. Men, I have to ask the question, do you have that kind of permanency in your relationship? Do you? We as Christians should not think about divorce. It should not be in our vocabulary. Now I know there's been many, many... People to get divorced, to be divorced. And and God is gracious and God is patient with man. God is forgiving and He will forgive. But we don't anticipate this. Like I said, it should not be in our vocabulary. There should be a permanence to our marriage. These are very, very permanence in marriage is very, very important. It brings that stability that is needed. Now, how do we do this, men? Well, we think long term. We share the the immediate future, but we plan, we plan for, I'm sorry, we share the immediate present, but we plan for the future. We set goals for our family together. Here's what it's going to be like when our children, (laughs) we've already talked about this. This is going to be great. When our children are gone out of the house in about eight years, we've already got, and time and, and counting. Here's what it's going to be looking like. And we talk about this. Why? Because we're not anticipating the next week or two that we're going to get divorced. No, we're planning our life together. We're planning to be together. So we plan. We plan a future together. Our children need to see this. We need to communicate this kind of attitude to our children. There's a permanency. And gentlemen, I think we need to think beyond just our generation. We need to look beyond... To the next generation, we establish ourselves, but that permanency needs to to be a legacy for the next generation and the next generation. Um, do you communicate that in your attitude and your actions? Do you communicate that to your wife or or is she does she ever have thoughts in the back of her mind that you 're going to leave you 're just going to pack up and be gone men, godly husband. God, the husband has a permanency about this relationship. There's a permanency there. Well, turn back to Ephesians. Now let's wrap this up. We'll bring this to a close here. The husband is to love his wife. A unifying love is demonstrated when the husband um, he cares for his wife. He knows his wife. And he, has, he builds that permanency into that relationship. Just as Christ does his church. But there's one last thing. There's one more verse that we need to consider. Look at verse 32. All this time you think he's talking about primarily about the husband and wife. But no, he, he's, this, is, this mystery is great. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking reference to Christ and His church. Now, he is talking about the, the husband and wife, but that's just an illustration of the spiritual reality of Christ and His church. The permanency there. And he's talking about this mystery. This something that was not known before is now known. And we can relish in that fact. We can know that that, that relationship is now permanent. Israel did not have that, by the way. But then he kind of closes with one s- summary statement here. Nevertheless, in verse 33, Nevertheless, each individual among you, that's talking about the church, all of us, in the local congregation, each individual. Why is that important? Because the gospel is at stake. When people can point to your marriage and say, that's a mess, the gospel is undermined. The gospel is uh, decredibilized and and the um, church is undermined and it's important each individual among you he says also is to love his wife very simple command love his wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband now what do you not not see here There's not a lot of complexity here. There's not a lot of psychoanalyzing. There's not a lot of uh, personality testing. There's not a lot of, well, we don't get along. There's not a lot of all this stuff. It's very, very simple principles. Very simple principles. Paul could have given us a whole lot more. But you know what? He gives us some really two elements Husbands love your wife, wives submit to your husbands respect him it's it's loving leadership and respectful submission. Remember that we talked about before. Why did he choose these there's many other elements or many other sins that he could have dressed, but I think these are sins major sins that we we are major areas that we um, that we struggle with. A, a wife now think about it a wife must live and submit herself. To an imperfect husband. An imperfect husband. And she has to do this with respectful submission. She knows his flaws. She knows his faults. And she's still to submit. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, she could probably do a better job than he can. In many situations. The husband's is to sacrificially love his wife. To purify her and unify that relationship he is to love his wife. This is a supernatural kind of love, and he is to deny himself—the very, the very hard thing for a husband to do—to deny self, to fight against his own lust, and to keep his eyes under control and not, uh, not wander away from home. But Paul, so Paul nails these two principles. There remind me more. But you know what? These are two crucial principles. And it's very simple. If we would genuinely, genuinely do these two things, loving leadership, respectful submission, our marriages would be a whole lot better off. We would reflect Christ and His relationship to the church. That's unifying submission. Let me... Um, Kind of draw this to a close just with an application here. Husbands, are you seeking to establish a unifying, loving, unifying love in your home, in your family? Do you try to pull this together? And then we, as believers, we apply this just by looking at Christ's love for the church. It's a it's a wonderful thing. There's a song that was written. George um, was a pastor from the 1800s, and this song, um, O Love, it says, O Love that Will Not Let Me Go, on which I, I place my, my soul, I entrust my soul to. He had it right, I and mean, that's right. It's a love that will not let us go, it's a unifying love. Let me give you one other, this is a more contemporary hymn, uh song or chorus. It's called, uh, Your Love Compels Me, and it's written by Doug Hulk. Your love compels me. Think about that concept. This is a unifying love. Let me read you the words. Your love compels me, Lord, to give as you would give, to speak as you would speak, to live as you would lo- live, Your love compels me, Lord, to see as you would see, to serve as you would serve, and to be what you would be. It's a compelling love. It's a love that that says, join me. Pull into the relationship. Come in and unify with me. Is that the kind of love you have with Christ? Do you have that kind of relationship with Christ? He's drawing you. He's pulling you in. He wants that kind of relationship with you. And the example is just the the family. Husband's love for the wife. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, these are deep and heavy, weighty things for us. Um, May we not just look at them on the physical level, but understand them with our heart. Understand them with the spiritual reality that they are that you profoundly love us, that you have sacrificed for us, that you are seeking to purify us and to unify us with yourself. Lord, we thank you for being the great God that you are. And we thank you for that kind of love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.